Uh, I'm going to invite our SALT staff up. They are, they are the panel tonight, so give it up for SALT staff. Um, sweet. Thank you, Danny. And here's what, here's what we're going to do. So <clears throat> last week, I got to talk about judgment. That was fun. Hope you guys had a blast with that. Um, but was struck by Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 24, when he talks about uh, building your house on a, on a foundation. He says, the wise builder uh, who builds his house on the foundation, this is what he's marked by. Everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, they are like the wise builder who builds his house on a firm foundation. So we just spent an entire semester in the Sermon on the Mount, and the reality is, you might think, what did we just talk about? Because you have a short-term memory problem. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to bring it back. We're going to just talk about a few topics that were covered in the Sermon on the Mount and get more practical for you. So the goal is to help you not just hear the word, but to do the word. So... We have a few topics. We're not going to spend forever on them because we are not going to keep you here all night. But the win of this is really not for you to be like, wow, I've never heard that theological truth before. That probably will not happen tonight. We're okay with that. The hope is that you would walk away and say, I learned one new thing that I could apply to my life and actually use it to more faithfully follow Jesus. Sound good? Yeah. On the same track? Sweet. All right. So... Here's a mic for you. You might want that. We're going to, if you have a Bible, you can have it out. We're going to be looking at it. That's a good thing to do. Um, we're going to start in Matthew 5, uh, verse 20, verses 29 and 30 is on this topic of lust. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. In verse 30, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. In both instances, he says, it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Whoa, pretty strong language. So uh, we have done college ministry long enough to know that lust is a problem. And it's not just a guy problem. It's not just a gal problem. It's a humanity problem. That's why Jesus spent time teaching on it in the Sermon on the Mount. So this question... Uh, panel, to the students struggling with lust, how would you suggest fighting? Like, what principles would you suggest? What, like, practical tips, guidelines would you give to somebody that is struggling with lust and wants to see victory in their life? I'm definitely a, a human problem, right? I think yep. that sometimes this one gets centered around um, guys, but it's, it's a problem for all of us, right? Um, I think... For me in my life, uh, really recognizing that sin is primarily against God, right? Like that um, in Psalm 51, when David is talking about his sin, he says, God, against you and only you have I sinned. And so rooting, I think often this struggle can be really emphasized to how you're sinning against other people, and that's absolutely true. But also recognizing that sin is primarily against God. It's primarily against God, and that's why it's so serious what's happening. The, the holiest being in the whole universe has been sinned against, and yet, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, Christ came to, to die for us. And so recognizing the gravity of the sin allows you to see the beauty of the gospel. 
And I think that is particularly powerful for this. My turn? Okay. Um, I think for me, for me, it's, it's like, what have I been dwelling on? So in Luke 6, 45, it talks about um, out of the heart. And so, yeah, just to ask, like, what have you been dwelling on? What have you been thinking about? What have you been watching? What have you been listening to? I noticed for me um, when lustful thoughts or, um, like, in the past when they would lead to more, like, it was always because I was not listening or watching or dwelling on things that were true, noble, and lovely. So um, the more you can, like, look at your content that you're consuming, look at the things you're reading, look at the people you're hanging out to and the things that you're talking about, I think, um, yeah, you'll think about better things and hopefully be quicker to shut down those thoughts when they come, because they will. And um, hopefully that prevents you from having things, you know, go down a, down a bad road. So that'd be my, that'd be my advice. Like take inventory of your heart and see what you're thinking about. That's good. Yeah. I would say like two things to like identify within it is like, what is the reason behind like maybe acting upon those sins and temptations? So like seeing that surface in like two ways, like how do I identify, like, how do I stop this? I think of identifying the heart motive. Like, what am I trying to fulfill or sustain myself? What am I trying to like piece together in my heart that I'm like lacking. So like when I think of like the core needs of like love, joy, security, significance, like which one of those am I trying to fulfill? Like comfort, control, those types of things. It's like if I notice, oh man, like I struggled like looking at control over situations and that's when I turn to this particular sense. Like, okay, like now I can identify the heart issue. I get to pray over that and like see how that's servicing in other ways, bring that to the Lord. And then also taking like an inventory of the practical side, Nicole already hit on it, but like what can I do to make it less likely for me to be in that place? It's like if an alcoholic really struggles with going to alcohol, uh, and like really struggles to like, if they're around it, they're going to be like getting drunk. It's like, well, they probably shouldn't go to a bar at night with a group of people who are going to be drinking. Like that just doesn't make the most sense. In the same way, if you notice that there's a lust issue at a late point at night, that it's like, oh, this is like when I am most likely to start having these thoughts and temptations like change the scenery, change that, like don't go into an environment where you know that temptation is going to be likely. We see that play out in other areas where it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we need to apply that to lust as well. It's like, how do we put ourselves in a position to succeed in a practical, physical way, but then also part of that with like, what am I trying to fulfill in my heart that's not sustained? Anything to add, James? Sweet. Um, we, we've talked about it before of kind of like, if you were to come across somebody who like had a terrible stab wound. There's, there's two things you need to do. Number one is stop the bleeding. And the second thing is heal the wound. Um, and I think just the reality with lust is some of the like stop the bleeding is really, really practical. And some of you have probably tried that before, whether that's like software programs, taking the door off the hinges of your bedroom, um, like getting really radical Maybe it's like deleting all the apps on your phone or getting a dumb phone, like taking it seriously. But if you only treat the symptoms and you don't heal the wound, you're going to continue to have a problem. So getting beneath the surface is helpful. Uh, but I think the one thing to just call out from this text is that Jesus wasn't joking. <laughs> like take your sin seriously. Uh, he doesn't necessarily mean literally gouge your eye out or literally cut your hand off. Bad idea. But... He, what he does mean is take this seriously because 
this is like a war on your soul, and sin is out to kill you. So find accountability. Take it seriously. I was just talking with dudes earlier this week that I said, what if every time you struggled with lust, you had to Venmo me $100? How much do you think you would cave? And they're like, not much. And I'm like, okay, so it's not really that you can't stop. Sometimes you just need to put something on the line and say, man, I need accountability and I need real practical steps that show me that this is impacting me and costing me something. But like Jacob said, get beneath the surface. Don't stop there. Say, what am I looking for uh, that the gospel is designed to fulfill that this can't? So can I have one more thing? Go for it. So uh, something you maybe you have run into is like, I've tried everything with practical steps. Like, w- like, what more can I do other than X, Y, and Z? Uh, and this isn't in any way to, like, boast of myself. This is just where I went with it, that, like, I got really serious with this, was really practical with, like, the issue I had with lust. And so there was, like, a few weeks. I was staying up super late so that it was, like, I couldn't do anything but go to sleep, like, late at night. I was, like, playing video games, doing whatever. Not a great use of time. But staying up really late, I took the door off of the hinges. I started sleeping out in the living room or shared space where I knew it was, like, less likely for me to, like, take advantage of that, you know, whatever. Like, I had done basically everything with my phone, deleting apps. Like, there's always a next step. If you've come to the point where you're like, oh, man, like, I don't know if there's anything else I can do. There is always a more extreme level. And so it comes down to what you said. Like, take it seriously. Like, it is not just about managing it, but it is a lion, and you need to kill it. For sure. And if you haven't told somebody you're struggling with it, that's oftentimes a good first step. It's just like, tell somebody, hey, I've been struggling with this, so they can actually enter in and help you out. Um, so if you're in a connection group, that's a great place to open up. If you don't feel like telling your whole group, tell one person, tell your connection group leader so that they can actually help you out. All right. If you want more on that, there's going to be a breakout at conference called fighting sin would highly recommend you go to it more there. We have a lot to cover tonight. Uh, next thing we're talking about, uh, Taylor taught actually on this section, uh, on divorce and oaths and more or less made this point. Marriage is a really big deal. You know, for Jesus to say, I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's like setting a very high standard to make sure that God's people keep their oaths in marriage. And so this, this idea of like, man, deciding who you marry, very important, very important. And in the Bible, God would have one human relationship that he explicitly says puts on display Christ in the church. And you know what it is? Marriage, right? A husband and a wife. And so aside from what you do with Jesus, this idea of identifying your spouse, one of the most important things you will decide in life. And so with that, we know not everyone in here is like, oh, yeah, I'm buying a ring. Got a couple people that have done that. Come on. Uh, But... Before the ring comes dating. And so we're going to talk about dating, and this is very broad, but we all deal with people on a regular basis who are either dating or considering dating, want to date, or maybe don't want to date, and they're trying to get their way out of a relationship. What dating advice would you give to this room? By the way, if I write a book, it's going to be on this. So... What dating advice would you give? I've got a lot, but I'm going to zip my lips for a little bit. Okay. Well, I feel like this is kind of at the beginning of just like, should you be dating? I think 
Um, a lot of us, including myself, have dated for the wrong reasons. And um, like Jordan said, marriage is what dating is meant to lead to. And so, number one, if you're not dating with the intention of marriage, I feel like you shouldn't date. Um, and number two, like when you're thinking about even marriage and like, oh, that's something I desire, I think just simply like asking your community who know you really well, like, is this a good time for me to date? Do I have, we're never going to be perfect people. We know that. But like, is this a, would this help me love Jesus more? Would this help me follow Jesus more? Would this help me um, honor people more by dating? And I think the, the other thing that I'm, I mean, Paul, myself, Jesus is all passionate about is just like dating is not, or sorry, marriage is not the end goal of your life. No, knowing and loving and following Jesus should be the end goal of your life. And so if you are looking to date or to marriage, dating or marriage to fulfill anything that Jesus is meant to fulfill, you are always going to be left disappointed. And yeah, that will crush you, crush the person you're trying to put that on. And so just practically asking like, is this a good time? You know, if you're thinking of a specific person, is this the right person? Like, ask your community, ask, let them ask you the hard questions, and um, yeah, just assess that first before you even maybe begin. Nicole covered a lot of it. That was great. Um, yeah, like one of the things that like um, when the the guys that I meet with um, <clears throat> talk to me about this, like I bring up kind of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, like the practical thing that's going to happen to you if you start in a dating relationship, or he's talking about marriage, he's not talking about dating, is your attention is going to be divided. And are you the type of person that at this time can point your attentions toward God, even though that there's a person in front of you that you want to please? And that's what we talk about when we mean, like, is it going to be good for your holiness? Like, I think the, the greatest struggle in my life as a young Christian was both that I just wanted people to approve of me, and specifically, I wasn't ready to date anybody, but it's all I wanted. And when it happened, my attentions were completely divided. So consider that. Like, are you the type of person who can stay maintained and focused on holiness and God? in that kind of relationship. I think continuing to run from where Nicole was going was like, why, not only like should you, but like why do you want to get married? Is it because you want to have kids? Is it because you want to do X, Y, Z or move somewhere? Or is it because you want to like be sanctified? And if you're answering the questions with, I think marriage will fulfill my desire of having kids or will fulfill my or will stop my whatever lust problem, you're wrong because that's not gonna happen in marriage. So asking the question like, why do I want to get married in the first place or why do I want to date? Even going back to what Nicole was talking about. I'll try to keep it short. Um, when like choosing who you're going to date, I think I'd take what Jordan said one step further. Uh, if you are going to get married, the person you decide to marry, I would say, is the most important decision that you make outside of following Jesus. That, like, that is the person that's going to have the most impact on your life. Everything changes once that happens. And as we read about with Os, and, like, this is a forever thing with, like, no looking back. There's no, like, everything that gets worked through is together. So it is a very important decision. And so when looking at that, um, if we date uh, as Christians for the purpose of marriage, we also believe we should be married to somebody. We talk about equally yoked, meaning that they are also following Jesus. 
Um, and without going, it, it, there's more follow-up questions that can happen from that. But this is a really good analogy to understand, like, why do we prioritize that? What happens if we don't? Um, if we hear, like, the saying that, like, iron sharpens iron. Like, if two pieces of iron are together and they hit each other, they're going to sharpen each other. Um, if somebody is a believer in frequent relationship with somebody who is a non-believer, it's kind of like a piece of iron or like an axe and a block of wood that as they are constantly and frequently like in relationship, one becomes damaged and the other becomes dull. That you're not sharpening, you're not growing because you're trying to, you know, essentially force like your beliefs, not that that's necessarily what happens, but you're in re relationship with something that is not the same material as you are. And then that uh, the other, the block of wood, or in this case, like the non-believer is then being damaged because they don't have a reason to live how maybe you are. They don't, they don't have like the reason behind changing. And so um, if you find yourself in a relationship with somebody, it's like, I don't believe that we're going to live a marriage that's going to be sharpening each other. I don't believe this is the iron sharpening my iron, but we're like so deep in this. Like, how am I supposed to like go back from this? I've seen this play out. The pain of breaking off an engagement or a marriage is a lot more difficult and a lot messier than exiting a dating relationship and seeking healing through that. Um, there's more to go on to that, um, more follow-up questions. The, the other thing I want to talk about is boundaries within dating, um, specifically looking at like time, uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Without going into too much detail, detail, essentially it should not pull you from your current community people that are around you, like guys with guys, gals with gals. Those are still the first people you should go to with situations regarding faith, sin struggles. You should not be confessing sin to the person primarily that you're in a dating relationship with. If you are like having a long-term struggle and like them to like be aware of stuff, like that is okay. But as far as like regular accountability, that should still be with the people that you've grown closest with. You should not be taking away your time from connection groups, salt, church, other like priorities that you have. You will have less time in general because you want to spend time with them. But in general, looking at like the Good boundaries for time, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Um, I don't have too much time to go into all that. But looking at those boundaries and taking action on them. Yeah. Um, I'll give you guys my, my quick hitters because, again, I, I wish I could write a book on this. Maybe I will one day. Uh, date with conviction. Uh, we've talked about that. Date a Christian. Know why you're dating. Uh, number two, date for clarity, not for intimacy. Your, your goal is to date for clarity, not for intimacy. So your entire process of dating is to figure out, is this person a suitable spouse? It's not to like grow close to them. Uh, that's what marriage is for. Um, and then lastly, date in community. So date with conviction, date for clarity, date in community. Uh, there's plenty of Proverbs. You could find like five or six of them that say, in the abundance of, of counselors, your plans will succeed. Um, and also, in isolation, you will fail. So don't date in isolation or your relationship will lead to damage. Uh, so if you have more dating questions, go to Salt Company Conference. There's a breakout. What do you know? Um, all right, here we go. <clears throat> Matthew 6, we're going to keep rolling here. Uh, there's a section in here talking about laying up treasures on earth versus laying up treasures in heaven. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for e he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's Matthew 6, 24. And so maybe you guys know this, maybe you don't. Um, the Bible actually does talk about money in a positive sense. Most frequently, we talk about money negatively, but Proverbs 13, 22 actually says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. 
And 2 Corinthians 12.4 actually says that parents are obligated to save for their children. So if you want to hold something against your parents, there you go. No, don't do that. Um, so I think what's interesting here is like there are passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that say, hey, parents should save their money to be able to like even pass on to the next generation. But then there's also warnings like Jesus in Matthew 6 or Paul in 1 Timothy that says, you know, if you desire like to be rich or if you love money, that's going to lead to destruction. It's a snare. It's like going to lead to all kinds of evil. So the question we, we are asking tonight is, how do you manage the tension between handling money wisely but yet not loving it? So like we all like need money to live and we're like told to save money. But how do we do that without falling in love with it? We're all rich, by the way. Yeah, lots of money. From all that Venmo. No, just kidding. I'm joking, I'm joking. Get enough accountability partners to sign up with me. I'll be doing all right. Yeah, it's really like, the shape goes like this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I can start. Uh, I think like one of the important things to recognize about money is what it is. So it's like a, a temporary means, and by that I mean like, the world is passing away, and money and its influence and power have the ability to be stewarded or used in a certain way here, and also, it's going away. It's going away, and I think like where I've personally struggled is like, oh man, I need to toil, I need to do my absolute best, and then like reading in Ecclesiastes and seeing like, oh, yet when I surveyed all that I had done and toiled to achieve, all was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And it's like, oh, that's what I was toiling for? Like, these things are, are going away. And so you have the opportunity to use it faithfully here, um, but recognize it for what it is. I think looking at your bank account is helpful. What are you spending your money on? Um, I, I like lean saver, not a spender when it comes to like fun things, I guess. And which is ironic cause I'm buying a lot of Christmas presents, but for other people, for other people. Um, anyway, when I look at my bank account and I look, you know, at what I've spent my money on this month, what am I spending it on? Am I spending it on things I need, rent, food, um, heat, you know, or am I spending it on new clothes and too many uptown coffees and you know like what am I spending my money on because that'll tell me where my heart is and it and figuring out are you a spender are you a saver because for a really long time I was like oh no I don't love money I don't I'm not abusing it and it's like no I was finding security in my savings account because I was building up this nest egg which is not wrong but I was doing that so that for some reason, I would lose my job or, I don't know, the world would... Or get called to ministry. Or get Tough. called to ministry. Hey, come on. What, like, whatever it is, like, I was like, oh, I can fall back on this. And while that's not wrong, that's very wise in some degree, it also took a lot of my dependence off of God in how I used my money. And so I think even if you're a saver, identifying, like, are you, yeah, relying too much on what you're saving or are you actually relying on the Lord for provision? Are you giving out of abundance or are you giving what you're required so then you can save the rest? Cause that was also me for a while. Um, so I think in, when I was like seven, I don't know, my parents talked to me as a child at one point and it was like, 
um, give, save, spend, and it should be in that order. I just want to make sure I said it right. So give my money away, save my money, and then spend my money, obviously within reason for the things you need first, but give, save, spend. Your parents had that talk with you when you were seven? No, no. I might not have I been learned seven. that like three well, years ago from Jake Each. <laughs> Maybe not seven. I don't know. I had that thing. It was blue, and it was three little, um, they're not houses, but they were like little, one was a bank, one was a food pant, not a food pantry. <laughs> He's stealing from the <laughs> Yeah, give, save, live. Like, if you actually, yeah, if you think through those categories in those orders, like, you're going to actually figure out how to have money without money having you. Um, that's, like, really challenging to think through. Do I have my money or does my money have me? Um, and one thing my wife Ellie and I figured out is the quicker we, like, let go and we're just obedient to say we want to give to the local church uh, you know we want to support missionaries going to the ends of the earth like we found ourselves actually less anxious about our money um, not this isn't like foolproof you give money you're going to get it all back like not some prosperity gospel but it's just you figure out that money doesn't have you and you're just more at peace um and I think a challenge to us, especially in America, is like most of us live way beyond our means. Um, we're debt-ridden society. And Paul said to Timothy, like, if I have food and clothing with this, I'll be content. Most of us are not content unless we have like food, clothing, newest iPhone, like, you know, J's on our feet, like fill in the blank. Like we struggle with contentment because we're living beyond what we're supposed to. So maybe worth just evaluating what is your contentment? What do you need to be content? And is that disobedient to the scriptures? Um, probably worth taking inventory on. So on the topic of like money, money leads to a ton of anxiety. Uh, you've probably figured that out as college students. And that's why it's like not shocking that Jesus right after talking about money gets into this section about like don't be anxious. Like, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Um, and, he, and he says, you know, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, you are, we are an anxiety-ridden people. We have anxious thoughts frequently. And when it comes to dealing with worry, uh, what practical advice would you give to students when it's like, oh, I'm worried about something or I'm anxious about something? What practical advice would you give to students? I'll go to the cliche verses first. Um, I hate that I'm going here, but it's great. Um, Philippians 4, verses 4 through um, 7 or 8, really 8. I'll just read all of it because it's really good. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I think um, three things um, 
this is a passage I come back to frequently. Three things stand out to me in verse five. Um, how our Bibles have broken it up. It's broken up actually a sentence in verses five and six. So um, I would have moved the six back, but that's personal opinion to where it says like, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Um, the God of the universe is like at hand or is like next to you at all times, whether that's sitting in this room talking about anxiety right now or you sitting in your dorm room being anxious over the exam you have tomorrow. Um, so like being aware and being like able to actually think and feel like, oh, God is like here with me right now should automatically, I mean, bring peace because like he is peace. In verse six also, it says like with thanksgiving, um, if you're being thankful, most likely you're not being anxious because you're not worrying about what you don't have. Um, you're being reminded of what you do have and what you have to be thankful of. Um, and then verse eight, there's this whole list of things of like anything that's true, anything that's honorable, anything that's just, anything that's pure. Like these are the things you should be thinking on. And when my mind starts to go down the rabbit hole of like, oh, well, what if this happens or what if this happens? It's immediately like, oh, that's not true. And that's the very first thing and can be cut off. I'm not thinking on what is true. I'm not thinking on what is um, honorable and am now aware of that and can now take action, whether it's going and talking to a friend about it or going and like opening my Bible to this passage and being able to walk through, okay, that thought is not true. How do I bring it to God in Thanksgiving knowing that he is at hand? That was a lot. Yeah. Anything to add? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. Resounding. Um, no, I, I would say very like along those lines. Like, if I had like three steps to remember, it's like okay, when I notice that my thoughts start to get faster, when like my breathing becomes a little more shallow, like what are three things I want to do? I want to slow down. I want to breathe, and I want to look up. And so I think of Romans eight eighteen. Uh, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, often I can give too much weight on myself and, like, what's happening with me. Um, but when I, like, take a step back, I slow down, I take a breath, and I just think of, like, the weight and the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Like, how massive God is. And then, like, it's, it's like... I've made this anthill for myself, and then I look at the Mount Everest that is God, and, like, that doesn't even give a proper, like, difference between me and God. Like, my problems that I'm wrestling with and that are, like, consuming me and, like, racing through my head are, like, so small compared to, like, the grand glory that is to be revealed to us. And so I think sometimes just, like, slowing down and looking ahead, seeing the bigger picture of, like, what is going on around us can be super helpful to, like, in a helpful way, just show humility. And, like, whatever I'm getting anxious about is probably because I'm too concerned with myself. That's good. Yeah, I think the one thing I'll add is um, this is a community thing too, right? Like maybe sometimes we view anxiety as like an individual thing that you need to handle. Your view of God is something you should be bringing to your community. And like Jamie said, like the beginning is the Lord is at hand. And so we need people, we need our brothers and sisters to remind us of who God is and so I, I just say, like, about this, like, this is something you should be bringing to your community as well. Yeah. I think um, what's unique 
for those of us who have been around Salt Company for a while, we've, we've unpacked this word repentance, which means to turn away from sin and to turn towards God. And I think um, there is a reality of like a form of repentance when it comes to anxiousness is asking the question like, what's, what's making you anxious? What's contributing to your anxiety? And honestly asking the question like, am I contributing to my own anxiety? And I'm going to give you one thing. It's a hot take, but it's backed up. Your smartphones are contributing to your anxiety. They straight up are. Data will back it up. And you don't even need data because you know it's true. And so uh, there is a reality if you are anxious and you actually want to fight against your anxiety, yes, go to the Lord, absolutely. And also, what does it look like to say, I need to get off my smartphone. I need to lock it down. I need limits. I need to be off social media that's driving this constant, like, what do people think about me? What's going on around inside the world? Like Mark Vance, one of the pastors uh, of Cornerstone Ames has said, we are people with village-sized hearts who are exposed to the world on the internet. What do you think is going to happen? Like when you just see the brokenness that's happening in like Gaza, it's like, oh, now it's making you anxious and you can't even live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. You know, so... That's my quick plug of like, get off your phones. Dang it. And I need it too. So, how um, old are you? Yeah, old enough. <laughs> old enough to party. Um, so, if you're struggling with worry, there's a breakout at the Salt Company Conference, uh, January 5th through the 7th. Come on. So, more there. Um, all right. Uh, last topic that we're covering tonight. By the way, uh, we're doing this next week as well, and you, you might want to stick around for it. We're going to talk about, so we talked judgment last week, and there's this like terrifying statement that Jesus looks at these people and he says, you know, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, and have talked with several people of like, how do I know that's not me? And we talk long enough to get on this doctrine called predestination or election. We're going to talk about that next week. So this idea of like, okay, how does this work? Like, God chose me. Um, how, assurance of salvation. How can I be confident I'm going to heaven? So if you have questions on that, come next week. It'll be worth your time. But the last spot we're landing tonight, Sermon on the Mount, which is not the very end, uh, but is the beginning of Matthew 7, is this topic about judging others. Uh, so Andres from Iowa City came, talked about this, uh, and... Um, there's a, a section here. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but did not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what he's getting at is hypocritical confrontation of sin. But what he gets to by the end of the text is you need to confront people's sin. So uh, we're going to talk quickly as, as a panel. Um, you have a friend who claims Christianity. They call themselves a follower of Jesus. They are living in sin. How do you confront them? I can start. I'll <laughs> take 
Um, the first text that comes to mind for me when I'm thinking through, I notice something, how do I have a conversation? I think of Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Uh, it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think it's always important to like remind ourselves that the goal is restoration. The goal isn't for somebody to feel like super bad. Like we don't bring the conviction. Like that is the work of the Spirit. We aren't. Uh, if uh, if you've ever talked with Jordan about repentance, you will hear the story in John eight of the woman at the well. Like let he who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. Like we have no right to like make anyone feel condemnation. Romans eight one. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the goal isn't to like bear down on somebody, but it should be to restore them, to call them to the better way that Jesus has laid out in front of us of this is how we live in unity with each other. This is how we glorify God with our lives. Uh, so keeping the, the goal of restoring, having a spirit of gentleness to say, hey, like I noticed this is going on. Uh, can you just help me understand? Like From the outside looking in, I'm sure you don't mean for this to happen, but this is what I'm seeing, and that's not what I know you say you would be about. Can you just help me understand like what's going through your head with that? That's good. I think questions are helpful. So yeah, help me understand. But then also, um, if they if they don't speak about it in a way that would indicate they know what the Bible says about it, maybe ask them like, do you know that the Bible speaks like, do you know what the Bible says about this topic or you know whatever the conversation is, and then take them to that text. So um, that requires you to know what the Bible says about it, and um, but then also to go like humbly and say. You know, I want to look at this with you. Is there an area I can grow in this? I think is helpful too. Um, and if you've struggled with it, like acknowledge that on the front half of like, hey, I'm not above this. I've, I've struggled here. Like, I'm not telling you this because I'm better than you, but because like I felt the weight of it, and I want you to walk in freedom and repentance in that way. Yeah. How many of you guys would say this feels super awkward? Wow, you guys must be confronting a lot of sin. I'm really proud of you because we are a room full of sinners. Um, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, I trust that you just feel awkward that I even asked you to raise your hand in church. Okay, that's what's true. Um, I love, if you get into the details of this story, um, what's crazy is that this illustration is pretty pointed. How many of you guys have ever touched your own eyeball? Does it feel good? Somebody says yes. You have a problem. Okay. Um, so, Jax, um, tough. Okay. Here's, here's this reality, okay? Yes. Here's, here's the path you have to go. First, take the log out of your own eye. Make sure that you're not doing this hypocritically. Secondly, help your brother take the speck out of his own eye, which means, number one, it's very personal. You have to get close to help take something out of somebody's eye. You have to get close so it's personal, and number two, it's painful. Like, it's personal and it's painful to go to somebody and to, in, in a sense, inflict pain by showing them their sin, but the end goal is that your brother or sister would see clearly. And you have to be willing to say, this is uncomfortable, this might even hurt you to hear, but I love you too much to not let you see clearly, I want to talk to you about this area of your life. And I want to, as Nicole said, show you in the scriptures because I love you too much to let this sin continue to cause damage in your life. So you can, you can literally say that to people. This is like, hey, I feel awkward, but, 
and this might hurt you, but I love you too much to not say something. This has been showing up in your life. This in the scriptures is where I, I think you're living in sin. Like, do you see that? Like, let's work together uh, to see you follow Jesus more faithfully. Um, so anything you want to add to that? I was just going to take a different spin on the question, but you can keep going. Go for it. Um, okay. One thing that we see a lot and that you guys probably experience a lot is having somebody sin against you. So I'm going to use an example and then show you how to kind of approach that situation. Hypothetical. So, hypothetical. Very hypothetical for sure. So um, say there's a guy named... No, I'm just kidding. Go. So say there's a gal named Miss Chul. <laughs> <laughs> It's fake. I've never experienced this. I have pinky swear. Um, don't make oaths. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Reel um, it in. Here we go. Okay. Um, say Nicole comes to me and says, I don't know, says something offensive to me. I don't know what you would say that's offensive to me, but it's offensive to me. And... She calls me a lizard person, which may or may not be a fact. Um, and I'm offended by that, but instead of turning around and saying, hey, Nicole, I was offended by that, I skirt, 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 and go to these dudes over here and say, can you believe what Nicole would say about me? This is awful, blah, 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 rather than me going to Nicole. So the situation is now set. Um, Romans 12:18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It is now not only my responsibility to go and talk to Nicole and say, hey, this hurt me. Like, whether it was sin or not, this hurt me. Like, let's talk about it. But it's also these three dudes' responsibility to now either encourage me or not force me, but basically force me to go and talk to Nicole or they need to say, like, hey, I'm going to give you 24 hours to go and talk to Nicole about this because now you've brought us into this situation. And it's their responsibility to not only live at peace with that, Nicole, but also mine. So, which is hard. And so another reason to not gossip is because now you've brought more people into the situation. But it's difficult to, in the, in the moment, say, like, hey, that hurt me, or hey, that was sin against me. But it's easier and less complicated to do that than to now have brought the rest of like our friend group into it. Um, one thing when somebody is, when you notice that sin with somebody, I think something to keep in mind is we do not see situations as identity. Like this person's defining moment is not the sin that you are addressing in their life. Like when you look at that person, don't inherently just like attach that sin to them like oh and now I see this person as a liar I see this person as a gossip like that's not what we want what we want to be about when we are confronting the sin it is out of a heart posture of love gentleness restoration that person is a redeemed child of God because of the work of Christ on the cross and because of that that is why we call them uh, to how, how Jesus calls us to live so don't attach identity to the situations that we are calling attention to I'm sorry I called you a lizard child. Were <laughs> <laughs> you going to add to that? Wow. Were you going to add to that? I was going to add to that a little bit. And it's just like, if you look at, 
If you the look lizard at child Matthew no. 18 and not at the lizard person, look at Matthew 18. Um, <laughs> it says, hey, when someone sins against you, you go to your brother. And the, the clear kind of line here is it says, like, if, um, if they repent, like, you have gained your brother. So the goal is, is restoration of this person. And so in both cases of sin that's being perpetrated in somebody's life or that you are the party who's been directly sinned against, you want this person to be restored and reminded of the gospel, and you want your relationship to them to be restored. Yeah, that's good. And the, there is a part in Matthew 18 that brings other people in. It's just not first, right? Like, go to people first, and if they repent, great. You skipped the step of bringing two or three people with you. And by the way, the goal of bringing two or three people with you is not to get more people on your side. It's to bring more perspective to the situation because there's a chance that you might be wrong. <laughs> um, so bringing in an outside party to this, you know, strained relationship and say, hey, this is what I've seen. They can say, hey, this is what I've seen. And the other people can ultimately say, like Paul says in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. I love that. Like, let's just stick to the scriptures. I'm not here to talk people's opinions. I just want to say, based on hearing both of you speak, here's what God would say to you. Um, I have, um, this is maybe overly practical, but I think you would benefit from it. So um, have just talked through this with plenty of people before on like, hey, you need to go talk to somebody about something you're upset about. Whether that's sin or it's just like conflict in relationship, which has probably led to you sinning uh, because now you're bitter or you're, you know, you've been holding something against them. And I think if I'm honest, we sin against each other far more than we actually know just by nature. Like I'm a sinful person. You're a sinful person. This probably happens a lot. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid to go to people and just say like, Hey, I want to have a conversation with you. Um, I'm going to give you a five step process. Okay. This is good. You're going to like it. Uh, step one is repent. Um, which means even in that conversation, you go to somebody and you say, Hey, I wanted you to know that I'm sorry because I've been holding this against you, whether it's for the last day or for the last week or for the last semester, like, I'm sorry, this has bothered me, and I haven't had the courage to come talk to you. You know, will you please forgive me? Um, secondly, is to assume the best, uh, which starts by saying something along the lines of, I'm sure you blank. So, hey, I'm sure you just had a busy day, and I caught you in a stressful moment, but when you said this, you see where I'm going there? Like, you're assuming the best in people. You're not assuming that they're, they just hate you and they're out to get you. So um, you start by saying, I'm sorry. You next say, I'm sure you <laughs> fill in the blank. And then third, express your feelings. Uh, you might not know this, but your feelings aren't always true. Your feelings can lie to you. But that doesn't mean your feelings aren't valid. So you can say, when you did this, it made me feel blank, insert emotion. That is like something you genuinely felt and they deserve to hear how what they did made you feel. We good there? So express your feelings. Uh, fourth, seek to understand, which literally uses these three words, help me understand. So, hey, 
you did this, it made me feel this way. Help me understand, am I off in thinking that like what you did was sinful? Am I off in thinking that what you said was harsh? Or what was actually going on? Help me see from your perspective what happened the other day. Gives them an opportunity to speak, uh, which is helpful. Uh, You're not just like, you're not just the victim. You have an opportunity to say, I want to hear from you. I want to learn from you. And then lastly, to seek a resolution, um, which says, moving forward, dot, dot, dot. It's like, okay, this is how we're reconciling. This is what's going to look different the next time this comes up. Uh, so you can actually continue to be in a, a reconciled relationship with this person. So I'll run through that again quick. Uh, step one, repent. Apologize for what you can. Uh, step two, assume the best. Start by saying something along the lines of, I'm sure you meant blank. Uh, step three, express your feelings. I felt or I feel. Uh, step four, seek to understand. Help me understand. Step five, reach resolution. Moving forward dot, dot, dot. This is how we, how we work together. So anything else you guys want to add just in conflict resolution? Yep. Also receive it gently. If you are on like the receiving end of it, like somebody is calling out sin in your life, have a soft heart, have like it in mind that they are trying to restore you as a brother and point you towards Jesus. So like in the same way that we want to be gentle in how we approach people, be like, assuming the best in what they're saying to you and like check your heart and see, okay, they're actually calling out for something that should have attention called to it um, and receive it well. And when this is lived out, like it's a beautiful thing. Like I won't use names, like talking to a student, like realizing, hey, like I've noticed that this has become more of a focus in your life. Like conversations that we've had are starting to shift more towards this instead of Jesus. Like I just didn't know if you were aware of that. Like can you help me understand maybe why that is? And he's like, oh wow. Like I didn't even like really see that. You're totally right. And then like seeing how he was able to call attention to it. It something that he like, didn't know like just by me being able to remove the speck in his eyes so he could see clearly and start living like more focused back on Jesus like it's a beautiful thing when this is done properly yeah yeah man I I think the only thing that I would say is own whatever part of it is yours right like if you're secure in Jesus you don't need to worry about making excuses or making sure that the person knows every single little detail that led you to be in a position to sin against them like own your part, own your part of it. And like in a relationship with my wife, every single time I'm like, oh, it was a long day and then this was happening and uh, I don't know, like I lost in my fantasy football league. I don't have a fantasy football league, but that's what people do. Um, (laughs) Instead of doing that, I asked her one time, I was like, so when I explained to you like how I got to where I was, does that, is that informative for you, or does it just sound like excuses? And she was like, honestly, it always makes, like you're, makes it seem like you're trying to make excuses for what you did. So just own your part, and you're secure in Jesus, so you don't need people to understand every single reason why you did what you did. Just own it. Yeah. I heard a pastor based in Nashville say something along the lines of, if somebody ever confronts you or rebukes you, the first thing you should do is thank them because that required courage. Um, Like even on the front end of like, have you ever felt awkward or intimidated to have that conversation? They felt that way before they came and talked to you. You like owe them a thank you, even if what they've said might not be 100% warranted. But with that, if it's 1% true, guess what? You became 1% more obedient. That's a good thing. Like, 
So just to accept their confrontation with thanks and say, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. And that doesn't even mean you need to own it in the moment. You can say, I would love to like pray more and think more about that. Let's circle up again tomorrow. I'd love to you know, talk more about this. Um, that doesn't mean you have to, in the moment, be like, you're totally right, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you can just say, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Uh, I want to look into that more. I want to search my own heart. So hopefully this has been helpful for you guys. Uh, again, the win is if you can walk out those doors with one more like tool in your tool belt to just be more obedient. I think on this topic of conflict resolution, as you know, the college ministry pastor of by God's grace, a growing ministry, a fear of mine is that uh, God's people would become so conflict-ridden that the gospel doesn't go forward because we're not fighting the battle out there, we're fighting the battle in here. That would be a shame, right? That Jesus said, you know, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's like, that should spur us on in confidence to say, let's not fight the battle in here because there are still 13,000 students in our city who don't yet know Jesus. What if our battle was more on like, we want to help them see the beauty of Christ and then we can resolve conflict inside these doors because we're all, we all are built upon the same foundation. All of us are sinners in need of forgiveness all of us put our hope and confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, died in our place, and rose again victorious. So none of us are better than one another. And we owe it to each other to help one another follow Jesus in every area of life, not just the big things, but the small things. And so hear my gentle rebuke. You can thank me later. Um, conflict can be a problem in this room. And in fact, you may not think through this, but when I think through what is our greatest threat in Salt Company right now of like not seeing the gospel continue to go forward, I would say it's our inability to resolve conflict with other Christians. It has nothing to do with like, you know, a pagan culture that hates biblical Christianity. I don't think that's true at all. I think we serve a God that is powerful, and we are interacting with people every day that are looking for the joy, the peace, the hope that Christ has come to offer them, but we don't want sideways energy with one another when we can link arms and wage war on a lost world in need of a Savior. Amen? Amen. Sweet. I'm going to pray for us. We'll send you guys out. Um, Father, just thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that your word is true, that your word is good, and God, that you've gathered us tonight just to get more practical. Uh, we don't want to be people that just hear your word, but we want to be people that do your word. And so um, whatever practical uh, piece of advice we have taken tonight, Lord, I pray that you would help us not just know it in our heads, but to believe it in our hearts and to live it out. Maybe even tonight, Lord, uh, just to be more obedient to you, to be satisfied in you. Thank you again for the promise of Psalm 16, 11. Lord, you make known to us the path of life. Uh, in your presence, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Satisfy us in your love tonight. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.